Well, good morning. I tell you, it is exciting. There is probably nothing more exciting than being able to get together in a congregation of people and to worship, uh, to hear the energy of people being able to connect with one another. That is so exciting. So uh, welcome. And for those of you that are not able to be with us but are joining us live, uh, we miss you, we love you, and we are hoping you're going to come back soon. So this morning I just have three brief announcements. They all start with the letter C. C. Okay, first... Communication, communication. First, if you want to reach out to us and you have any questions, if you're here in the sanctuary, go out to the Welcome Center. Um, there are cards out there, communication cards. Please just reach out to us. If you have a prayer request for the elders, uh, we get those. Um, if you have any questions about our congregation, just write those down on the prayer card that is out there at the Welcome Center. Or if you are online, you can use the Email address admin at thechapelnj.org. Admin at thechapelnj.org. Uh, Dave Mercer will get those requests out to us and funnel them out to the deacons, to the elders, or to the pastoral staff. Hopefully you've been seeing some updates as well to our website. You're going to see more of them as we move forward. Um, we're looking to streamline the website. We're also using it as a communication platform. So please go to the website. You can connect with us and learn about the ministries that that are happening as well there. Uh, Facebook and YouTube, probably a number of you are watching us through Facebook and YouTube. If you haven't subscribed, please do that. Communication. Second, community. In this time of this pandemic, it has been a lot of separation, and we want to be a church that is more than just a Sunday morning church. We want you to be able to connect with one another. And so we have a number of offerings that if you look online and you look in our platform, you'll see a number of opportunities that you have to connect, not only online but also in person. We have our youth group that meets here on Wednesday nights. We have young adults that meets here on Sunday nights. We have men and women's group. I just finished a relationship wisdom study on Sunday nights. We have a prayer meeting midweek on Sunday that is online. I want you to know that there are growing opportunities for you to be able to connect in community. So don't feel separated. Don't just focus on just one hour on a Sunday morning. Connect with us in that way. So communication, second community, third commitment. Uh, the elders got a chance to uh, meet with each other this week, and we got a chance to talk about the church and the planned future ministries, but it was also exciting to hear reports of people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through our ministries recently. And those that are looking to make commitments, a deeper commitment to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why we're here, to be able to see God doing a work in our lives and through our lives. And we've also had some people that have been reaching out about baptism recently or becoming a member at the church. If you're interested in either one of us, see Tim, Doug, or myself, or once again, go out, grab one of those commitment cards at the uh, front um, desk, and they will get that to us. And if you're online, just email us. I think that's all I had. I guess there's one last C, Christ. That's why we're here, right? Uh, Amen. So communication is great. Community is great. Commitment is great, but it is about a person persons, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we worship him this morning. Let me give you this last psalm, and before we go into our worship this morning, Psalm 121, one of my favorites, it says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. So, Lord, I thank you for this community. This community comes together and is, comes together to worship you today. We worship your son. I pray that this would be a Christ-centered, cross-centered, word-centered, spirit-filled, God-glorying community of believers. I pray today that we would magnify your son. I pray that we'd be filled by your spirit. I pray that we would speak out your word. I pray for those of us in our community that are struggling, still with health issues, Father, significant ones. Fathers, those that are struggling financially with loss of jobs and difficulties in life. There's so many people that are struggling just even with what's happening in our society around. I pray for us. I pray that this would be a family, a family of faith. I pray that you would comfort us today by your word. Fill us by your spirit. Help us bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Do you believe it? Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Sing holy. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around. Holy, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside. Build. 
give life to your love. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore, restore every heart that is broken, yes, every heart, and great are you, Lord, it's your breath. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise to you only. Yes, Lord, only to you. You give life. You give life, you are love, you bring light to our darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart, every heart that is broken. We can only praise you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath. join with the churches around the world today sing all the earth will shout your praise and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones they can't help it and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lives. We pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lives. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. 
my imprisoned spirit. Upon my imprisoned spirit, lay fast bound in sin and nature's light. Thy night a quick. My chains fell off. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I This is mine. We are amazed by the love you gave to us that sets us free, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. You sent God in flesh to die for us, your creation, those who have run away from you. Lord, all the breath in our lungs is from you. You give us this life. So, of course, we pour out our praise to you this morning. Of course, the only thing we can do is praise you, God. We thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We thank you for freeing us from our sins, for setting us free, for giving us a community of believers that we can walk alongside, that we are not alone because there are others. And most importantly, through your Holy Spirit, you go with us. We thank you, God, this morning for worship. We ask you can help us to continue to worship as we hear your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, Those of you that are involved in junior church, young people, you can be dismissed at this time. Go to the back and you'll spend some time with my wife in junior church so you can help yourself to that. So if you have your Bibles, um, I ask you to turn over to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 32 to 52. 
in our time together. That's Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 52. Don't you love some of these old hymns that we sing? Really, really, really powerful. I want to read another song to you. It's an older song. And I want you to try to identify where do you resonate. I'm going to read three of the stanzas, or maybe four of the stanzas with you. It's a song that in the past God has used countless times in my own life. Um, So let let me read the stanzas, and I want you to think about what it is in your life When you hear this, you go like, yeah, it makes me think about something specific. The song is called, Does Jesus Care? Here are the stanzas. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Another stanza. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him does he see? The stanza goes on to say, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. We know it. We know how it continues. But have you ever wondered that? I mean, have you ever looked at, or maybe currently, a particular experience, and you're saying, is Jesus even able to connect to this? The sinless Son of God? We're coming to a passage that, I have to tell you, we we have to approach it carefully because there's mystery as I come to this passage. There's wonder. And there's incredible encouragement. So I want to come to this text, to what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus' prayer there and what he experienced. And and, and I want to try to plumb a level of the depths. I'll never be able to do it perfectly. It just, I I, I won't. I'll do the best I can, okay? Because this is marvelous to our eyes. And I want you to notice a couple things as we come to this passage. I want you to watch how Jesus handles the agony of suffering. And in the midst of it, abandonment from all human supporters. You've heard in the last couple weeks, Jesus has been predicting a series of things. He's been predicting that he would suffer. He would die, he would be buried, he would resurrect. It's all coming to fruition now. But he also predicted several other things concerning his own followers that one would betray him, one would deny him, and the rest would desert him. 
And we're beginning to see even these things now beginning to be fleshed out in this experience. And Jesus is feeling the weight of all of that. So I want to walk through this familiar text. It's holy. It's a holy text. So let us come to it with carefully and reflectively. So listen where it starts here. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, so he's with his 11 disciples. Judas is gone by this point. So Judas now is prepared, is with, with the opposition coming to actually betray Christ. But, so he's away. So it's Jesus with his 11 disciples. And he says to the, the bulk of them, sit here until I have prayed. It's interesting, Gethsemane, it literally means the oil press. So here in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, the oil press, we will find the pressing upon the Son of God as he feels the weight of what he's going to do very soon. So he's going to go a little bit farther. Look what he says in verse 33. He took with him Peter and James and John. Jesus often does that, doesn't he? These are kind of the, the inner circle, if you will. And the Bible tells us both visually and verbally he expresses the weight that he's facing. Listen to what it says. He began to be very distressed and troubled. That, that's visual, folks. If you're James or John or Peter... It's really clear as, as he leaves some of those guys, I'm adding up here, eight, right? Eight and three is 11, got it, okay. So eight of the guys he's left there, he goes with three others, and it's very, very clear that if you looked at Jesus in that moment and you said, how would I describe him? You would say he looks completely distressed and troubled. The Son of God, our Savior. And he says this to, his, his, to the three in verse 34. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. So he's with the three. I mean, folks, that's deep distress, isn't it? If I tell you, I am under so much pressure. I feel like I'm ready to die. Jesus says that to his three and he says, guys, sit here and watch. He's he's going to tell them also to pray. And what Jesus is asking them to do is not only do they need to be cognizant and prepare themselves for what is coming, but he wants them at whatever level it's possible to join in with him as to what he is going to be facing. He's looking for some support. He leaves the three, and the Bible tells us he goes a little bit farther. Verse 35. He went a little bit beyond them and fell to the ground. You know, normally, when you pray, you kneel, that's true at times, but you, you often raise the hands and you look up. But Jesus was so overwhelmed with the weight of what he is going to face 
on the cross that he literally just falls down on the ground before the Father. I mean, totally prostrate, face in the ground as he prays to God. And his prayer in summary is this, verse 35, that if it were possible, the hour might pass by. And I think what he's saying there in verse 35 is this. When when Mark is just trying to capture the essence of his prayer, that he would love it if he would not have to actually face this hour of suffering. But only if it's possible, only if it's within God's will. Mark says, that, that, that's the generic. Now let me give you the actual words that he said. And he zeroes in for us then in verse 36. This is an incredible prayer. Have you ever um, wandered in and heard somebody actually praying out loud and they didn't know you were there? I feel like I'm intruding when I do that, don't you? Now, if it's my children, I still hang around because I want to hear what they say. Okay. That's kind of how I feel when I come to this text. I kind of feel like, I don't know if I should even be listening to this. Well, obviously we should be. It's in the scripture. But I want you to notice the elements of this prayer. It will, but well, let's look what it says. And he was saying, Abba, and Abba would be the Aramaic word for father. Um, it, it's a word of intimacy. And sometimes I've heard people say, well, it's kind of like saying daddy. It's probably not quite like saying daddy, maybe dad or papa, perhaps. And then he translates it for us, father. The expression Abba, father, together in the New Testament only occurs three times, here and twice in Paul. That's how we're supposed to pray too. That's pretty cool when, when you get to Paul. And here's what I want you to realize What is it that Jesus recognizes about God the Father when he begins his prayer? Two things. First he says, Abba, Father. Then he says, all things are possible for thee. You know what that means? That means Jesus, as he comes before God the Father, recognizes on the one hand That God is for him. God is good. God is on his side because he is Papa, Father. Do you see? God is good. He also recognizes that God is great. You can do anything. But isn't that the great tension when we pray? How can God be both good and great? How can he do anything and be for me and allow me still to experience this? Isn't that the problem? Do you you, you see? Jesus understood that you can have both of those at the exact same time. Abba, Father, you are for me. You care. 
You're here. You're great. And you can do anything. But that is often our dilemma. That he is both good and great at the same time. It's within that context that Jesus offers his request. And here it is. Remove this cup from me. Now, that's not a demand. That's not him saying, so you had bet. It's not that at all. It's a request. It's a desire. And and in all fairness, folks, I want you to think about this. I don't even understand this. God the Son, who has been in perfect fellowship within the, the mystery of the Trinity from eternity past, has now become in the incarnation the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And, 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 and like he allows, and, and, and he allows in his divinity, he allows his humanity to, to cloak that divinity and submits himself to the Father for his entire life. But here in this moment, as Jesus is going to go to the cross, What does it mean for God the Father, who's always been in perfect relationship with the Son, to feel separated as he bears the sins of the world? See, Jesus feels that weight here. And so he makes this request. If there's any other way, please remove this. He's prostrate on the ground. Haven't you been there? And you know what? We've all had those moments of pro- we're prostrate before God and we're saying, God, please, you're for me and you're great. You can do anything. And I just think, please do this, I, whatever. I mean, we, we, we've all had those experiences. And as hard as our experiences are, they pale in comparison to what he went through. That's the beauty of this text. I will never face what he faced. And he makes an honest, heartfelt request to the Father, feeling the weight of what is coming. And then says this, Yet not what I will, but what thou will. He places his desire before God, understanding the agony and the suffering that is coming. But then says, God, whatever you want, I will submit to. That is quite a prayer. And that is very hard to pray. I want you to notice something in this passage. Jesus doesn't preach this this once, or doesn't pray this once, does he? He prays this three times. So it's not like he gets up off his... You know, so, okay, well, that, was, that wasn't so bad. La, la. <laughs> right? Is that, I mean, is that how it works? No. He's going to go back and he's going to have contact with his disciples. And he's going to go back a second time. And he's going to prostrate again. And he's going to pray again. And he's going to get up again. And he's going to go back again. And he's going to go back a third time. 
There's so much realism here, because isn't that how it works? Suddenly, do we take a prayer before God and our hearts are just burdened and strained and weighted down and but God, we want what you want. And then we get up and go, okay, oh, well, that's, that was, that was, no. It is a process, isn't it, folks? And our blessed Lord walks us through this process that he engages in. Notice what happens with his supporters. It's not so good. Verse 37. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, directly. Simon, are are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for just one hour? I mean, Peter's just like groggy, you know, oh, Jesus, what? You know? And then he turns and, and talks to all three in verse 38. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. These guys are not against Jesus. They're for him. The spirit is willing. In their heart of hearts, the followers of Christ. But they're weak. Which is why Jesus is saying with what is coming very soon, you all have to be ready. And and you have to be disciplined enough to stay awake and realize you'll never be able to do it on your own, so you pray in dependence on God for what is coming. It is that wonderful blend between us stepping out and trusting God for the full, right? They're they're, they're both there. And, and, And so Jesus says, guys, I know it's hard. I know you're tired, but this is no moment to be sleeping, Pray to God for strength that you can be alert in this moment. Then the text tells us in verse 39, Jesus went away again and prayed saying the same words. Remember, we just saw that. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. So so this time when when he comes back, Nobody really had to say much. All they could do is just kind of go like, I don't know. You know, like, they don't have much to say. He went away again. And verse 41 says, he came the third time. And he said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Coming out of that experience, Jesus is empowered and enabled and ready. And the disciples are not. Coming out of that experience where he grieves before the Father, he has no real support from his own guys, who for a variety of reasons are sound asleep. And I think part of it's discouragement and they're tired and yes, all that stuff. 
in the next scene, what we see is our Lord Jesus Christ moving into all of this betrayal and abandonment with incredible trusting, trust and courage before the Father. He trusts all the way through this, folks. But sometimes that trust, our trust in God does not mean that we're, 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 we're not admitting how we're feeling and what we're struggling with. Can you have tr- trust and distress at the same time? Absolutely. He does. Because Christ never sins through the process. So in his trust, he is completely honest to God. And now he's able to move into what's coming next with incredible courage because he's been strengthened from that experience. So notice what happens. Verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, and Mark puts that in on purpose. He doesn't just say Judas. He says, Judas, one of the twelve. You know why? Here is a guy who has walked with Christ for three and a half years. He's seen the miracles. They've walked together. I'm sure they've heard jokes and laughed and cried together. Eaten together. All kinds of stuff together. Have you ever had a close friend turn on you? I mean, somebody you trusted? Somebody who knew you well enough that they could stab you in the back because of the details they knew from your life. Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going that night. They'd been there often. He was the perfect guy to set him up. And none of the other disciples suspected him. It was a perfect setup. And from a guy that Jesus had sat before, according to John's gospel, and actually offered bread out of, uh, out of love and respect, that same man goes out into the darkness and now is ready to betray Jesus. Ed and I were talking about this uh, last I don't know if it was last week, Ed, or the week before, or whatever. Just the, the, the whole Judas character. Such a, such a complicated guy. It's hard to know all what he's thinking. But it's really sad. Anyway, so while Jesus was still speaking, Jesus, this is all happening quickly, Judas, one of the twelve, came up and accompanied by a multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders... Now, he was the one, he he who was betraying him, Judas, had given them a signal saying, whomever I shall kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. So here's the plan. Here's Jesus with his guys. Judas is coming up and before they got together, Judas said, look, I'm going to go up and I'm going to greet him with a kiss. Now, you may hear that and go like, well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? What do you mean going up and like a guy kissing a guy? You know, I mean, it sounds kind of inappropriate, you know, or something. Very common in their day. Like, if you ever go over to Italy, have you, if you got a, 
you know, the, uh, mwah, mwah, you know, and you're going, whoa, what in the world was that? You know, it just, I mean, it just, you know, it's just kind of, it's kind of part of the, part of the culture. Antiquity that you would often find those kinds of things. Okay. There would be a, not quite Italian, but yes, it would be something very similar to that. Um, so that wasn't unusual, but that kiss was to be a statement of friendship, wasn't it? To say, I'm committed to you and you're committed to me. This was a kiss of betrayal. So Judas said, look, the guy I kiss, that's the guy you grab after I kiss. After I say I'm for you, get him. That's what he was saying. And Jesus knew all this. So it's exactly what happens. Look at verse 45. After coming, he immediately went right to Jesus. There's no hesitancy here with Judas. He'd made his call. Saying, Rabbi, what a hypocrite. And then he kissed him. Rabbi, great teacher. I'm for you. Get him. That's what he was doing. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But a certain one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the slave of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Such an interesting verse to put in there. And in Mark's account, you don't get any more of the details that you do in Matthew and Luke and specifically John's account for that, which lets us know some things. But, but I would say, honestly, at this point, everything looks like it's gone south, doesn't it? So, so he comes up and kisses him and, and it works perfectly. And all the guys go, that's the guy. And they grab him, and they seize him and maybe they're, you know, tying him up and doing everything like that. And in the midst of all that, we know from John's gospel that Peter was the guy that actually pulled out the sword. Okay. We don't know from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We do, we do know it from John. And, you know, he, he swings and he get, and we know from John, it's Malchus is the guy whose ear he cuts. He cuts off the guy's ear and, and, um, and, it wasn't, wasn't a real good shot, obviously, uh, which, which was good for Malchus. Um, and, and so in the midst of all that turmoil, you're thinking to yourself, this thing has gone south bad. I mean, Peter can't even do it right. I mean, the whole thing's a mess. And about that time, Jesus, who's been wrestled to the ground probably and tied, stands up and takes command. Look at what he says. And Jesus and answered and said to them, I love his courage. He's been tied up by these guys and he's going to tell them exactly who they are and exactly what they're doing. And Jesus answered and said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? as against a robber, or we could say against a a revolutionary or an insurrectionist. I think it's probably a better translation of that word. Because in that day, you have all kinds of insurrections going on. And it's it's heightening in Jesus' day. You have revolutionaries. Barabbas was probably a revolutionary. And and so, so Jesus is saying, you guys, you thugs, so they were like, you know, they were like the, the secret police, right? People talk about the secret police, the KJB and all that kind of stuff. They, they come out with their thugs to arrest him 
as if he's some kind of revolutionary. And Jesus goes on to say this. Look, look at how he clarifies it for them. Every day I was with you in the temple teaching. And you didn't seize me. Look, if the high priests are so honorable, what they should have done as I was teaching, come up and confront me. And if I would not deal with it correctly and they could prove I was wrong, you bring your temple guards and you grab me and you do what you have to do. But you guys, you don't find this exactly in the text, but this is kind of what Jesus is saying. You guys are a bunch of chickens. Because you knew you couldn't do that during the day. Because the people around were going, we want more of this Jesus character. Do do, do you see? So what you do is, I'm not a revolutionary. You guys violate protocol, do something unethical, illegal, and in the middle of the night, you come and you do this to me. Wow. Is that the first thing you'd say to people that just tied you up? But this has happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What you have done, if Jesus is tied up at this point, what you have done is totally wrong, unethical, immoral, illegal, hypocrites. But I want you to know something. A sovereign God who is over the whole is in control of the whole process. Scripture had talked about one who would come, who would face betrayal and ultimately die for the sins of the world. God is in control. I had just said, Jesus could say, could say to them, from Zechariah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. That's going to happen. I had talked as in Psalm 41 talks about one who is my friend will betray me. And that is what is happening. So all the things that were happening around Jesus in this moment were the fulfillment of Scripture, not in a way that takes any culpability away from the people that were wrong. Do you you see that? Jesus wasn't saying, hey, it's okay that you're doing stuff illegal. Oh, no, no, he pointed it out. But what he says, God is not directly behind it, but God is sovereignly over it. In such a way that his scripture is being fulfilled and ultimately his purposes will be accomplished. That's courage, isn't it? Rest in God, rest in the scripture, speaks truth to whoever comes his way. Now, I can't say the same for his followers. Look at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said would happen? We'll find out more about Peter next week. I'll leave that for Tim. Then you have this really interesting section that's only found in Mark's gospel in verse 51 and 52. And I have to tell you, it kind of sets me back on my... It's, I have a lot of questions on this one. I, I'll, get, I'll give you my take, but I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Like, why is this in here? I, I think I know, but, but it's, it's tricky. The text says, 
And a certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him because he was there. And he left the linen sheet behind and escaped naked. And you go to yourself like, what in the world? (laughs) Like, what did we need that one for? Who is it? Bottom line is, I don't know. I think, I think the best candidate would be the writer of this book, John Mark. Only because we do know later in the book of Acts that the church will actually gather in John Mark's mother's home. So it's a, it's a, it's a home of a bit more substance. Um, and it may be, and I don't know this, I don't know it. It may be that they had the Last Supper in that home. And John Mark was there. Do I know this for sure? Nope. Doing the best guesswork I can do at this point, okay? But it's possible it was John Mark. If not another individual that, for whatever reason, was kept anonymous. But it makes most sense to me that John would speak anonymously of himself. Don't know that. Why is it that he only had a linen sheet on? I mean, normally you would have an undergarment and then you'd have an overgarment, right? I mean, that's kind of like what you do. And this guy just has like, you know, a long shirt on or something. You think like, how'd that whole thing happen? I don't know. Could it be that while he's in the home and the disciples are there and they're leaving and he's heard some of the things that's going on and he hears word that Judas and the people are coming and he's going to warn Jesus or something? Possibly. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened there, but, but maybe something along those lines was going on. And he, he loves Jesus. And yeah, you know, you've done that before, like you run out of the house really quick and you just grab something and go. Well, all this guy did was grab the linen sheet. And I guess he was, you know, in his skibbies or something, whatever, man. He just, and he just, you know, he just, he goes, okay. And, and he gets there. And he sees what they're doing to Jesus and he's close enough that a couple of the guards grab him and he slides out and he runs away stark naked. I mean, that's what it says. What in the world? The best I can figure, it is interesting, and and I don't know that Mark is alluding to this, but there's an interesting passage over in Amos that talks about a time when even the mightiest soldiers of Israel would flee away naked because it is the ultimate expression of dishonor and shame to have to run away naked. And my guess is that John Mark in writing this gospel is telling us It wasn't just the 12 or the 11, because Judas obviously is on the other side. It wasn't just the 11 that fled. Anybody there fled. And when they fled, it was the ultimate act of shame because they were running away from the one they said that they would support. Maybe John is raising his hand and saying, I was there too. So here Jesus is going through all of this deep-seated agony before the Father. And humanly speaking, he's completely alone. Have you ever felt that way? 
had times in my life, and I've talked with saints of God who have gone through some very, very difficult times, and the way sometimes it's explained is it's almost like you're in a bubble, and nobody can really quite get close enough to experience what you're experiencing. It's just kind of you. You know what I mean? And I would say Jesus is in a bubble with God. And those that should be supporting, for whatever reason, have fled. But Jesus is on mission. So what do we learn? Just a couple things quickly. I guess I would sum this up by saying this. While agonizing in prayer to God over suffering, in the absence of support from others, while Jesus is doing this, he exemplifies for us honest and courageous trust in a good and great father. He is in agony. He is abandoned from all human support. But he trusts. It's an honest trust. Nothing is held back. Feelings are right there on the table. But it's a courageous trust. Not my will, but yours be done. And then he moves back in all those relationships, declares the truth out of confidence in his God who is sovereign, who is fulfilling his purposes from Scripture. So what does it tell me? It tells me that I love Jesus. That he would do that for us. We sang it tonight. I, I mean, that song, and can it be? I don't know where Carmelo is, but I love that song. God, that you have died for me. Like, what is that all about? That you would love me so much that you would go through this, face that ultimate rejection by your own father because you love Doug Finkbeiner? And, and you love John? And you love Dave and Laura? And Ed, and I could just keep going. Yes. Yes. And I look at this text and I say, Lord, thank you. In the midst of abandonment, in the midst of agony, doing something that only you could do, and loving me in a way that I could never love anybody else, and facing something that I will never face ever to that depth. And all I can say is thank you. I don't know what else to say. What else can you say? It's why we do communion, isn't it? We just say thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Which is why, folks, is the ultimate statement of pride and attack on God for someone to think to themselves, I don't need Jesus, I can do it on my own. When he has come to say, you can't do it on your own. You have failed. You are a rebel apart from God. I have come so you can know God forever through me. And I'll go through this for that. Man, that's, that's, that's good stuff. It also tells me that Jesus not only 
should be praised for what he does uniquely. But it tells me that he can empathize with us. Jesus, who said to his disciples earlier in chapter 14, said, you will all flee. But you know what I love it? I love about it? He says, but after I resurrect, I will meet you in Galilee. Guys, yes, you fail. But I am for you. I will empower you. I can empathize with you. I can change you. I, um, I love the book of Hebrews. Did you ever get scared reading the book of Hebrews? If you didn't ever get scared, you didn't ever read it. Because it's a hard text. And it's also one of the most endearing texts in Scripture. Because it is in Hebrews... In more elaboration than anywhere else, you have the unpacking of what it means for Christ to be our high priest. And you know what he says there? He talks about him coming and suffering as one of us and suffering in a way that none of us could actually suffer, that he might be a compassionate high priest so that we could come before him and say, God, I'm so alone and I'm in so much pain and I just wish you would do this. And Jesus says, I know that prayer. I've I've prayed it. Do you know how he describes it over in Hebrews chapter 5? It's just, it's mind-boggling. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. To the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. You know that happened in Gethsemane folks. God I'm going through all this pain. But at the end of the day your will be done. And that prayer was heard. Because Jesus was submissive to the father. And redemption was what, what, what happened. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Do you see? He has been there, brothers and sisters, at a level that you will never be. And he says, come with whatever ails you. Come into my presence. I am for you. And you always come before a father who is simultaneously good, Abba Father. And great, all things are possible with God. And that can feel like an oxymoron to us when it comes like, well, God, if you're for me, and you can do anything, then you ought to be giving me what I'm requesting. No. Because he's for you and he can do anything, you need to bring your request. But when you bring your request, you bring him always saying, your will be done. 
So Jesus shows us his incredible love, which only he can do. He goes on to tell us, I can empathize with you. I have been there. I have been where you will never have to go. So you can come to one who fully understands. Bring your need. Bring your fears. Bring your uncertainties. Bring your concerns. Bring them. Bring them. And as you do, Jesus will become the great example of how you and I should pray and how we should live. So we honestly come before him. We groan. We, 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 we're distressed. We cry. We, we speak loudly. What it, for some of us, that's kind of easy. But, 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 but you, you, know, you, you, you do all those things. And that is honest trust before God a great God who is for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And although it's a process, three times, it is something we come out of more courageous in our trust because we better understand the God who is for us. Does Jesus care When my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. Father, for each of us, our hearts are heavy. Could be because of a struggling relationship with a loved one. A diagnosis of cancer. A word from the boss that our job is ending in the next six months. And Lord, all kinds of things in between. Father, we love you, not as much as we should, but we love you. We are amazed that you sent your son and we are so honored that Jesus came. And we see that he was human, sinless but human. And in that, we find encouragement. In that, we understand more deeply his love for us. In that, we find strength to live as you've called us to live, to be honest the way he was honest, and to find courage, not from ourselves, but from our relationship with you. So, Lord, I would pray for my brothers and sisters here who know you as Lord and Savior, that you will enliven their soul, that you will do your good work. And, Father, for anybody here who has never trusted in Christ alone as Savior, may they stop running and just fall before you. And say, be merciful to me, 
the sinner. And in one fell swoop, they will be swept into the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for the promise and the blessing of the gospel. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
No fear, Jesus and all in him. I'm alive in him. Thank you that um, we have these examples of the disciples, and they're often laughable. But I'm just like them, and I think for those of us, Lord, who have read through the Gospels and understand what you have given to us, the disciples are us. We are them. We do fall asleep. We don't pay attention all the time. We're not always listening. But Lord, you have great grace and great mercy, so we can sing a song like this. How can it be that you would give us this amazing love, that you would die for us and set us free? It's unbelievable, and we are undeserving. But we thank you for it, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts, from the bottom of our soul, Lord, we thank you for it this morning, for the grace and the mercy you've given to us. We thank you that we can be together this morning, Lord, and sing and hear your word. We ask now that we go into our weeks, you'd be with us and you'd guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.